Before we pray, let me just mention, we're going to bring it into the gospel according to John this evening. Starting next week, Jess is going to be doing the evening service moving on. Do you want to tell everybody what you're going to do yet? All right, it's going to be surprised. <laughs> Stay tuned, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, let's ask for the Lord's blessing. Lord, we ask that you would be with us. We thank you for your mercies, as was preached this morning. Where would we be without your mercy? And as your word says, you have saved us according to your mercy, not according to deeds done in righteousness and by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So we, we rejoice that you have numbered us among your people. Teach us now wondrous things out of your word. We thank you for your revelation and what it means to us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, <clears throat> chapter 21 is the last chapter in, in John's gospel account. And it's helpful to understand just how chapter 21 fits into the entire theme of the book of John. John actually, in verses, in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, tells us essentially what the theme of, of his gospel account. If you notice there, it says, Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So it was always about all the miracles that Jesus performed are said to be signs. And what is a sign? It's a pointer. Pointer to what? He's the Messiah. So all of those miracles were designed to create a sense of awe, and they did create a sense of awe, like men walking who have never walked before, men who were blind from birth seeing, men being raised from the dead after four days, all proved that he is the Messiah. And that Jesus says, you have no excuse. So <clears throat> as we move into chapter 21, it's helpful for us to understand this is, what, this is what Jesus is doing. This is what Jesus did to demonstrate he's the Messiah. And we, to understand chapter 21 better, we got to understand this verbal encounter that we're going to see that Jesus has with Peter at the Sea of Galilee. And we'll talk about that more in a moment because it's pertinent that it happened by the Sea of Galilee uh, because we're going to see that's where Jesus' ministry began, by the Sea of Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles. And we're going to understand that we've made the comment time and time again, if there's anything that is sure and that, that is the prophetic word of God. And all of those events surrounding Jesus' crucifixion, his resurrection, Jesus said, I'm fulfilling scripture. The scripture says it's going to be this way, and it is this way. And so we're going to see that 
there's always this interplay of divine sovereignty with human responsibility. And better to understand chapter 21 as well is we're going to see uh, that Jesus' primary mission was to come and die for sinners, but he gave a task for his apostles to do. He brings that out in his high priestly prayer we saw in John chapter 17. He says, Lord, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm praying for them, not for you to take them out of this world, but for you to keep them from the evil one. They, they have a mission that they're going to be, that Jesus expects them to carry out. And we're going to see chapter 21 brings this all to a head. As I said, <clears throat> this event that we're going to see here in, in chapter 21, the scripture says it happened by the Sea of Galilee. And this is the first time it says there, if you look at verse 1, the Sea of Tiberias. So the Sea of Tiberias is the Sea of Galilee. Some have said, why was it called the Sea of Tiberias? Because Tiberias was a Roman uh, <clears throat> city on, on the sea. And because of that prominence, it later became known as the Sea of Tiberias. But we're talking about the Sea of Galilee. Now, Peter says, <clears throat> so this event here, Jesus appears for a third time to his disciples. And it's interesting, I want to draw your attention to verses three and following. Now, there were there Didymus and Thomas, I mean, there's Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's John and James, two other of his disciples. So Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, the, the other six says, we're going to go with you. Now remember, Peter is a fisherman by trade. And he's going to go fishing. And they went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But now when the day was breaking, Jesus was on the beach, and yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said, for, said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? Now there's his omniscience. He knows they didn't catch anything. And he said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find a catch. Well, how do you know that? Well, because he's God. That's why. They cast, therefore, and they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. That disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, referring to John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, threw himself into the sea, <clears throat> but the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards away, <clears throat> dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out, out upon the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to him, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up, 
drew the net to land full of large fish, 153, and almost there were so many, the net was not torn. Now, I want to emphasize this fact that they're by the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus tells them, you want to catch something? First of all, their attitude, I'm going to go fishing. Now, some commentators would say, were they abandoning their calling at this point? Others said, well, they got to do something, so they decided to go fishing. But I think there is more to it than that because for this reason. Why this fish story here in John 21? Well, after all, we learn from Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus began his ministry in Galilee of the Gentiles. That's where he began his public ministry, after his baptism by John. He goes there and he says, why Galilee of the Gentiles? Well, for one, to fulfill prophecy. According to Matthew, it says, Isaiah says that those in Zebulon of Galilee shall see a great light. Those sitting in darkness will see a great light. And they saw a great light. They saw Jesus. And that's why Jesus says, repent and believe. And it's, I've got to read what Matthew says in Matthew 4.19 because it has bearing here, I believe, on the events in chapter 21. We see in verse 18 of Matthew 4, it says, In walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. He knows they're they're fishermen by trade. He says, you follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now, what's interesting here is the key word that Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Now, what Matthew doesn't bring out there, you may think we're told in the text in Matthew 4 that when Jesus says, follow me, they immediately set it aside and follow Jesus. You go, really? All he had to say was, follow me, and they just gave up their trade? Matthew doesn't bring it out, but John does. In John chapter 1, we learn that basically a year had elapsed between this event and something that had prior happened prior. That when John reveals it in John chapter 1, where it says, Andrew goes out and says, I believe we have found the Messiah. And he tells uh, Peter. And then they go find Philip. And then they go find someone else. So this is the Messiah. So they had already had contact with Jesus before. A year had elapsed. They had seen these things. So this event where Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, then we can understand. Once we understand what John says, we can understand why they, they set aside their nets and follow Jesus. But it's, it's interesting, he says, I will make you fishers of men. 
Now, Jesus, in saying this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is why I think it explains this whole story with Jesus by the Sea of Galilee. Because Peter and his others are out fishing. You haven't caught anything, have you? Cast it on the other side and you'll get all this haul of fish. And they do. And Jesus has already prepared a breakfast for them. But he's prepared that breakfast and he's seeking to teach them, look, I told you before, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Now you're out here fishing. I want to remind you what your calling is. So Jesus fixes them breakfast there on the beach of the Sea of Galilee And then this interesting dialogue happens between him and Peter. And I want want us to take a look at that. Take a look at verse 12, John 21. Well, actually, verse 15. They have the breakfast. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I I love you. He said, Shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. So what we see here, what do we know about Peter, by the way? Remember, Peter at the Last Supper said, Jesus said, someone's going to betray me. Oh, really? Who is it? And then Peter says, well, it's not going to be me. I'll die for you, Jesus. Remember what Jesus told him? Jesus says, no, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. So, and then we learned, remember, that when Jesus was arrested and Peter was going to see what happened and he's confronted that he knows them and he says, no, no, I don't, I don't know him. And he ends up, what, denying Jesus three times? So I don't think it is coincidental that Jesus asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Well, yes, Lord. No, do you then feed my sheep? And he keeps asking them, Well, then shepherd my sheep. Then tend my lambs, Peter. And he's grieved. He's probably grieved, wondering, Where where do I stand with Jesus? I mean, remember when he betrayed Jesus and that cock crowed, he was. When he heard that cock crow, it says he went out and wept bitterly. The man who said, I'll never betray him. 
and yet he betrayed him. What, we, what we're seeing here in John 21 is Peter's restoration. Jesus is restoring him. Because remember, <clears throat> in Luke 22, Je- Jesus said to him, when Peter says, I'll never deny you, he says, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But I am praying for you. And I, and when you, when you are restored, then you comfort your brothers. So Jesus was praying for him. He predicted his restoration, and here is his public restoration. Because <clears throat> what is the task that I've given to you, Peter? Basically, to all of you, is to, to shepherd my people. You have a ministry that I've given to you. You're to take the gospel into the world. You have this ministry. You have a responsibility to the church of God. And so we see in this that Peter is restored to Jesus and he realizes that. And then Jesus gives him that task. Now, you know, it's a wonderful thing about this interchange and the restoration of Peter with the Lord Jesus well, one thing we I think is interesting, remember when they saw Jesus on the beach and they were only a few hundred yards away, Peter jumped into the sea to get there quickly and it says the others got there by boat. But, but that's Peter. Peter is spontaneous. Peter has this zeal. He, he wanted to see Jesus. But he probably wondered, where do I really stand with him in light of what I did? And we're going to see Jesus will restore him and give him that great ministry along with the other disciples. So this, this exhortation that Jesus gives to Peter, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, well, that's what elders do. That is our responsibility. You know, when Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, he's meeting with the Ephesian elders for the last time. And, he, and, he, and what is his exhortation to the Ephesian elders? He says, shepherd the sheep as overseers of the church that I have purchased by my blood. So the responsibility of, of shepherds is to tend to the sheep, to protect them. What does a shepherd do? Protect. Lead the sheep to the green pastures, right? To feed them. Jesus says to Peter, you need to tend to the sheep. You need to feed my sheep. You need to comfort your brothers. This is the ministry. And it's interesting, that's Paul's exhortation to the Ephesian elders of the responsibility of, of elders to shepherd the sheep. But Peter, in 1 Peter Chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, it talks about the responsibility of elders to shepherd God's flock. Not to lord it over them, but to be examples to them. But they are to shepherd God's people. This is the ministry, Jesus says, that that I've given to you. And it's interesting in this restoration 
In, in verses 18 and 19, take a look there in John 21, 29. Right after, basically, Jesus is restoring Peter and then commanding him, he says this to him. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now we've already made the comment, Jesus is omniscient. And he's prophetic. And he says to Peter, Peter, you're going to die. You want to stretch out your hands and you're going to be taken to a place you don't want to go. And John says he was signifying, but what kind of death he was going to glorify God. Now we're not told any further in scripture exactly how, except for the fact that Jesus says, this is going to be how you die, Peter. Some church fathers indicate this by the name of Eusebius in his work and Irenaeus in his work say, according to church tradition, Peter was martyred in Rome. And according, but we don't have any verification of this. So take it for what it's worth. But it went down through centuries that Peter said, I want to be crucified upside down because I'm not worthy to be crucified in the manner of my Lord. But we have no biblical proof of that. The only biblical proof that we have is Jesus says, you're going to die a death with your arms. I think signifying he's going to be crucified. And so this is, and then by telling Peter, you're going to die a martyr's death. And what does he say? Follow me. Follow me. Right after he tells him what kind of death he's going to die. You know, it's interesting here. I think we can say not only to Peter, he says, Peter, are you willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice in laying down your life in my service? Because this is going to how you're going to die. But I'm beckoning you, Peter, to that martyr's death. So, but in, in a sense, it really, it really is an exhortation to all of us in terms of our willingness to follow Jesus no matter what. Are we willing to follow Jesus if it means our death? I, I've got to have us turn to Luke 14 because I think it's very pertinent. Turn to Luke 14. And look at verse 25. 
I know what this passage meant to me as a young Christian. And it hit me hard. And notice what Jesus said to this crowd. Verse 25. Now great multitudes were going along with him. And he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Let's stop right there. What a word to say to all these people who are following Jesus. Do you realize what it is entailed to be my disciple? Are you willing to pay the cost? In fact, the rest of that section, Jesus says, you better count the cost. Kings count the cost before they go out to battle. Are you going to count the cost of what it means to follow me? And when he says, are you willing to take up the cross? They understood what that meant because they had seen Roman execution. So when, they, when it says, you willing to take up your cross? That image of how people were being killed was probably in their mind. Jesus says, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to follow me? Are you willing to forsake family to follow me? Are you willing to lay down your life to follow me? Because if you're not, you're not my disciple. Now, can you imagine the impact on that crowd? We know from John 6, by Jesus simply saying, eating my flesh and drink my blood, it offended many that they no longer walked with Jesus. You can imagine how many people decided, no, I don't think it's worth it. I don't think it's worth it. If this is what it's like to follow Jesus. And, and notice Jesus in that section in, in Luke 14 says, verse 33, I'm following. So therefore, no one of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. Therefore, salt is good. But if, it, if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Give up all your possessions. You know, it, it's, he's not, it's not like Rome says, hey, you don't have to take a, a vow of poverty. But here's how we got to view our possessions with open hands. Whatever I have, Jesus, that's yours. Whatever is, is mine is yours. And if you want me to give that up, I've got to be willing to give it up. What did Jesus say? You, are you willing to give up? Father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all this. You know, the first impact this passage had on me, <clears throat> the head of our navigator ministry told me once, he says, because I lived only 20 miles away from my parents' house. And on weekends, I was going home because I liked being around my parents. But I remember the head of the ministry said, John, have you ever considered about staying around maybe on weekends and other ministerial work? I thought about it, Tom. 
but I, I like going home. Well, guess where we had a Bible study at? At my parents' house. And guess what Tom chose to have a teaching session? But Luke 14. Well, that hit me like a ton of bricks is what it did. Oh, maybe I got to give up coming home every weekend. Maybe that's what Jesus is telling me. Am I willing to do that? And got to the point, praise God, that I was. But I was challenged with that, what it means. I mean, they hit me with a great force. What are you willing to do, John, to follow me? What are you, what are you willing to give up? Are you, are, you, are you willing to die for me? You know, what's interesting Jess, you and I, we took vows as teaching elders, and one of the vows we took was what? That we would carry out our duties to the best of our abilities, regardless of what the cost is. I took that vow. I'm sure you took that vow. So in the preaching of the gospel... Are we willing to pay the ultimate price? It's not just for preachers there, but obviously it applied to them. So when Jesus says, you got to follow me, and that may mean martyrdom. And Christians have paid the ultimate price in following Jesus. You know, what's, what's uh, noteworthy here when when Jesus said to Peter the kind of death he was going to die, it says that John and some of the others were following him, and Peter turned around and says, what about him? What's going to happen to him? And you know what Jesus' response was? I think it's interesting. Look what, look what he says, verse 23, or verse 22. Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. This saying therefore went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Now, whether Peter was curious, well, Jesus, you've told me of what's going to happen to me. What about John? And essentially, Jesus says, it's none of your business. It's none of your business. If I want John to remain, that's going to be. We know about John, what happened to him. Well, the Romans banished him to the island of Patmos, where he received the vision of the book of Revelation. And so what we see here is Jesus basically in this chapter is telling them, look, I've given you a task and that is to carry the gospel to the four corners of the earth. Luke records on the first day of resurrection when he appeared, he said to them, you're to go out 
And you're to proclaim repentance for forgiveness of sins starting in Jerusalem and then to the uttermost part of the earth. That is what your task is. That's what I've called you all to do. I've called you to be fishers of men. And I'm going to bless that because remember when he told them, you didn't catch anything before, did you? But put your net on the other side and you're going to catch a whole bunch. Do you think Jesus would give a command to us that he's, not, he's going to see that it won't be fulfilled? Do you think he would do that? Of course not. And that's where the Great Commission comes in. Where Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go you therefore into all the nations and disciple the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have told you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the world. I told you to be fishers of men. You are going to be fishers of men, and I will see to it that you are successful. This is the great, the great promise of the success of the gospel. Years ago, end with this, it was at Chalcedon down in Dunwoody. So we're talking about 25 years ago. And one day there was somebody sitting behind us in the pew that we're visiting. And they got over, I introduced myself to them. And they said, we understand that this is a post-millennial church. Is, is there any Bible verse that would verify this? And here's the only verse I told them. There's a many I could have said. I said, you ever heard of the Great Commission? They go, well, yeah. I says, Jesus says to go into all the nations and, and disciple them, and I will be with you always. Do you think that Jesus is a failure? Do you think he will not see that that task is fulfilled? They go, well... I guess not. <laughs> I guess not. I guess that is true. We have a task to carry the gospel. And, and we ought to have the confidence we will be fishers of men. We will be fishers of men. We got to believe that with all our heart. And we got to be willing to pay the price to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us for our failures of the past where we've not been willing to pay the price. We may have put family or possessions or fame, whatever it may be, ahead of you. Forgive us. Remind us of what, why we're here is to preach the wonderful news that Jesus is the Christ and in believing in him, we have eternal life. We ask this in your precious name, amen. Well, I thought it would be 